I'm Robbie. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm the pastor of Apologetics. And we're going to be continuing our series in Philippians about gospel impact this morning. So go ahead, grab your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 7. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. How good are you at defense? How good are you at defense? We always hear every year, every February when the Super Bowl comes around, right? Defense wins championships. We hear it all the time, right? Defending things is important. Uh, As Christians, we're called to be defenders. We're called to have a good defense. And I think it's important for us to understand one thing about what we're called to do. Uh, Jesus went on the offensive. Jesus won the ground. Jesus accomplished everything in the fight. He won the battle. We're called to defend what he did. Does that make sense? We're not gaining new territory here. We're defending what he accomplished. We're to point people to what Jesus did, not to what we're doing. We're, we're defenders. How good are you at defense? This morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we can be more defensive. Let's get defensive about what's important. Philippians 1, verse 7 is where we're going to be looking today. I'm going to go ahead and read that. The Apostle Paul says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. This, this goes along with verses 3 through 6, where he's, he's saying, I thank God for you. I remember you in my prayers. You guys bring me joy, right? And I'm confident that God is going to continue doing good things through you because he started a good work. He's going to finish a good work. And then he gets to our verse and he says, it's only right for me to feel this way about you guys because I have you in my heart. I love you, right? I have affections for you. And why? Because in my imprisonment, And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you have partaken with me. That's what he's saying. You have partaken with me in two things, my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. These words, defense and confirmation, are are legal terms that they would use in a court of law. Uh, He's he's saying, uh, you are partakers with me in my defensive case for the gospel, right? This is is the reason Steve gave me this verse. It's because the word for defense here is apologia, right? That's where we get our word apologetics from. And I'm the pastor of apologetics, and it's about defending our faith with a well-reasoned case. This is something that they would do in court. Can you imagine defending yourself? You've seen the movies where people, like, defend themselves in court. I think that's a horrible idea. Like, you don't know the law. Like, you should get a lawyer, I think. Um, I, I would need to. But people defend themselves. Could you imagine defending yourself? And they're saying, okay, you're brought up on charges of murder. You've decided to defend yourself, Mr. Lashua. Can you please tell us why you didn't murder this person? And I get up and I say, listen, judge, I just really feel like I didn't. Thank you. And I sit down. What would they do? They'd be, that's not a defense. That's a feeling. I don't want to know what you feel like. I want what? I want witnesses. I want evidence. I want reasoning, right? That's a case. That's a defense. What if you got up and you said, listen, judge, my mom thinks I'm a real good boy. She can't believe I would do something like that. Thank you. And then you sat down. And he'd say, no, like, I don't care what your mom thinks. I care about evidence, Right? These are legal terms. And so Paul's saying the Philippians have participated with him in giving a good case for the gospel. A good case for the gospel. 
They invested financially, we know. Steve talked about that. This is a thank you letter for them sending money to him and his imprisonment. They weren't embarrassed about him being imprisoned. Can you imagine if Pastor Steve got thrown in prison? You'd have second thoughts about saying where you went to church, right? You might change all your check-ins on Facebook. I don't know. It'd be a little weird, right? It'd be a little weird. They, they didn't care. They kept supporting him emotionally. They kept supporting him financially. They sent people up there to, to encourage him. They were partakers in what he was doing in prison and in the defense of the gospel. How did Paul defend the gospel? I want to do a quick real quick survey of what Paul means by a defense of the gospel, a good case for it through the book of Acts, all right? So let's look at Paul's example to us of what he did. Paul gets to Thessalonica in Acts 17, 2 through 3, and this is what it says happens. According to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He is the Christ. How did he do this? He reasoned and he gave evidence. He didn't say, I just feel like, you see that? Reasoning and evidence. What did he do when he got to Athens? So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. He's reasoning with people in the synagogue. He's going out to the marketplace and reasoning with people and talking with people and discussing things. And then these philosophers come up to him and they're like, man, that's an interesting idea. Why don't you come with all of our philosopher buddies and you can, uh, you can uh, tell us your ideas. And so he does. He goes up to the Areopagus. He goes up to Mars Hill where they all hang out and pontificate and philosophize. And he presents the gospel there in a way they would understand, explaining and using cultural things that they knew to help them understand the gospel. He, he reasoned. He gave evidence. Paul then goes on to Corinth, Acts 18.4. He was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. And look at this, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You see that persuade Persuade. Do you know the word persuade is used twice as many times in the Bible as the word predestined? That's interesting. I'll let that sit with your theology a little bit. We're called to persuade. We're called to persuade. It's important. This is what Paul was doing in Corinth. What did he do when he got to Ephesus? Acts 19.8. And he entered the synagogue and he continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He took time to talk with people, three months to reason and to persuade. He then goes on to Rome, and he's under house arrest, and look at what it says happened. When they set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Paul's idea of good defense, of a good apologia, is evidence, reasoning, and persuasion. Do you see that? He never talks about how he feels. He doesn't appeal to, Jesus said it, that settles it, you gotta believe it, if not, forget it. He's, he's taking time to help people see truth and see lies. That's what he's doing. That's a good defense. Paul invested in a good defense. The Philippians invested in a good defense. And so my question for you today is, how are you investing in a good defense? How are you getting defensive? How are you helping the cause of Christ by having a good case for what you believe? 
We don't have time to look at all the places Paul did this through Acts, but he does it in Iconium, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. Uh, He actually gets beaten up by a bunch of people, and then the centurions come and they break it up, and they're taking him away, and he goes, wait, hold on, I want to tell all these people that just beat me up something. And he goes into this speech, and he's trying to persuade them to believe in Jesus. Obviously, it wasn't about how he felt. You see that? He's bleeding. Before the Jewish council, on, Felix before, or on trial before Felix, on trial before King Agrippa and in Rome. This was, this was Paul's MO. This is how he did ministry. This is gospel impact. He's persuading people to see and understand the truth. How are we investing in the gospel? How are you forming a good defense for what you believe in? And I gotta be honest, in our culture, a lot of people have horrible defenses for what they believe. Everybody's got an opinion, right? You know this. Everybody's got an opinion. Not a lot of people have a really good reason to have their opinion, right? So what I want to talk about is I want to I show you three bad ways to have a defense that we shouldn't do, and then I want to explain to you one good way, one good way, the thing that we're supposed to do to have a good defense that Paul got, that the Philippians got, that Jesus got, that we need to get, all right? So this morning, we're talking about something important, Amen? We're talking about something big, right? We're talking about something that can change culture. We're talking about something that can make grown men cry. We're talking about something that every morning you want to start your day with, that every night you want to end your day with. We're talking about something big, worth living for, purpose, amen? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about bacon. Listen to me. Don't confuse passion with truth. Don't confuse passion with truth. Our culture is full of hype. Our culture is full of passion. And it's easy to make your voice go like Doesn't mean it's true. It just means it's passionate. People have been misled a lot because they've mistaken passion for truth. You know who was a phenomenally passionate speaker was Adolf Hitler. You want to get a good uh, education in how to be a public speaker? Go watch a bunch of Hitler's speeches. The guy was amazing. Pound the pulpit, passion, inflection. But he was just leading people to lies. He was just leading people to destruction. Don't confuse passion with truth. It's not enough. It's not enough. This, this type of an argument is bad. I just feel. I'm sincere. Who cares? Who cares? Because the Mormon says the same exact thing. And the Muslim says the same exact thing, and the atheist says the same exact thing, and the Jehovah's Witness says the same exact thing. Whose feelings trumps whose feelings? Well, none. Truth, evidence, persuasion, reason. Now that makes sense. Feeling, who cares? Don't confuse passion with truth. This has led so many people astray to devastating consequences. I was just in Rwanda a few weeks ago. I was at the Genocide Museum. Constant reminder of this. How did they persuade all of these people to follow a lie? Well, through rhetoric, through propaganda, through really impassioned speeches from the president and from the other generals. Emotion. They led people in emotion to kill a million people in three months with machetes. We can't do that, guys. Don't confuse passion with truth. We've seen this happen in our own society recently. Sometimes it's not passion and hype. Sometimes it's a different emotion like pity. This happens a lot. Um, recently, with the, with the legalization of homosexual marriage in our country, um, the, the tactic that was used, one of the tactics used by the homosexual agenda was uh, pity. 
uh, they, they said, listen, feel bad for us. All we want is the same thing everybody else has. That's all we're asking. Is that so wrong? You see, this is an appeal to pity. Feel bad for me. I just want the same rights. You can marry who you want. I can't. Well, that's just not true. Before the Supreme Court changed their, the law of our country on marriage, I couldn't marry a man, but I could marry a woman. That was, that was the law. A homosexual guy couldn't marry a man, but he could marry a woman. It's the same. It's the same rights. They didn't want equal rights. They wanted an extra right. And they used an argument from pity to persuade people. You see that? Don't confuse emotion. Don't confuse passion with truth. And we can't use this as an argument. I don't care if you feel close to the Lord. I'm not saying your feelings are invalid. I think the Lord's real, and I think that he actually indwells me, and I know he's spoken to me. But that's not the evidence I give to people, because they could say the same thing about bad pizza, right? It's not, a, it's not about how we feel. That's a cool thing that God can do, and it's not invalid, but that is not a good defense. It's not. We got to do better than that. Don't confuse passion with truth. Second point, don't confuse popularity with truth. Don't confuse popularity with truth. Now, I have to be careful here because passion paired up with truth is amazing, right? So passion by—it's not wrong, but it's not what we're looking for. When you get passion and you get truth, that's good. Same with popularity. Just because an idea is popular doesn't mean it's automatically wrong. I think Jesus is pretty popular, right? It uh, doesn't mean it's automatically wrong, but just because something's popular definitely doesn't mean it's automatically right. And we've got to be careful of this in our culture. We've got to be very careful of this. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. You know what that means? Not popular opinion. That's what it means. And the Philippians were still backing him up because they didn't care if it was embarrassing. They didn't care if it was unpopular. What they cared about was if it was true. They cared about if it was true. Popular opinion can and often has been wrong. You guys remember like 400 years ago when the earth was the center of the solar system? It it wasn't. It never was. (laughs) But popular opinion said that it was. And then you had some whistleblowers do some good science and they got in trouble (laughs) for going against popular opinion. That was wrong. The earth isn't the center of the earth. That's wrong. Popular opinion was wrong. During the Crusades, one of the popes, he promised that any, any soldiers who went to fight in the Crusades in the Holy Land, that he would absolve them from sin so they wouldn't have to spend time in purgatory. Popular opinion mobilized a lot of guys to go fight. Guess what? Purgatory is made up and it's not real and nobody can forgive sins except Jesus. Popular opinion was wrong. Recently, we've seen this in our culture. In the late 90s, boy bands were really popular. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Wrong, right? Amen to that. <laughs> Speaking of music, last, last Sunday night, I went to an Eddie Vedder concert at Tempe Town Lake because uh, I grew up in the 90s and I liked Pearl Jam, and so I went to see him. And uh, I'm sitting there. He's not a believer, like not even close. And he's saying all these really interesting things. Uh, he said, man, the weather down here in Phoenix is so nice. Let's give it up for the elements and any spiritual entities that may be responsible. And everyone's like, wow! And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, this, that's stupid. <laughs> like, what are you, but everybody, he's popular, right? So we're going to follow these 40-year-olds who are trying to stay up late one night of the month. Are, you know, what is happening here? You know, I'm thinking, what's going on? 
he goes on to sing this song. I, I hadn't heard this song. Maybe some of you have. It's, it's from that movie, A Star is Born. It won a whole bunch of awards. Um, and this song won some awards, and it's called Maybe It's Time. And he sings this song. And, and here's the lyrics. Uh, he says, maybe it's time we let the old ways die. Maybe it's time we let the old ways die. Second chorus, nobody speaks to God these days. Nobody speaks to God these days. And I'm sitting there with literally 20,000 people, and they're all singing along, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, that's just not true. I speak to God. Am I nobody? I know a lot of people who speak to God. Are we nobody? I'm going to speak to God right now just to disprove what you're saying, right? I do that at a lot of concerts. I'll pray for the person, because obviously they're not a believer, and they need Jesus, and they're, they're, they don't have purpose in their life, right? So I pray, but, a, but a lot of people left that concert with that idea rolling around in their mind, right? Because it's, it's put to a catchy, popular tune given by a popular person, and they, they believe this trash. And, and so I did some research. Um, I, I, this study I found this week was phenomenal. It's from Harvard, not Christian, and Indiana University, not Christian, and Baylor University, semi-Christian. And this is, what, this is what they said, okay? This is a, a study they've done for a long time about Christianity in America. Because we've all heard it's dying, right? We're going the way of Europe. All of our churches are going to be restaurants and museums in the near future. And nobody's going to believe it. You know, nobody speaks to God these days. That's what we've been told. Harvard says, no, nah, actually, that's not what's happening. And I want to read to you a part of that study. This was phenomenal. The researchers found when looking at U.S. church attendance numbers going back to the days of our nation's founding, they found that the percentage of church-attending Americans relative to overall population is more than four times greater today than it was in 1776. The number of attendees has actually continued to rise each and every decade over our nation's history right up until the present day. Nobody speaks to God these days. Popular opinion, factually untrue. You know what we call this study? This is called evidence. This is called reasoning. This is called, sorry, Eddie Vedder, you're wrong. But people are persuaded by popular opinion. We can't be. Don't confuse popularity with truth. Sometimes uh, this, this, uh, this argument of popularity, it morphs into what's more... Uh, more correctly titled bandwagoning. Do you know what bandwagoning is? If you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you probably know what bandwagoning is. <laughs> That's a jab. Yeah, I don't like the Seahawks. But you know, when people hop on a current fad, right? That's what we're talking about here. There's something, something new and everyone, oh, it's amazing. Let's all, let's all jump on it, right? Uh, we've seen this with, with a lot of things. You know, bell bottoms, MC hammer pants. All, you know, we've seen this over time. It's a lot of stuff. Just because people are jumping onto it and it's becoming popular doesn't mean it's true. The way, the way it works out in our culture is you'll hear people say, oh, that's an interesting idea you have, but that's old-fashioned, and I'm progressive. Don't you want to jump on the bandwagon of being progressive? And you think, I like progress. I'm not against progress, right? Well, then you come on, join us. The question is, is their opinion progress or is it regress, right? I mean, that's truth. Popularity doesn't dictate truth. Sometimes you'll have people say, oh, I'm on the right side of history. Don't you want to be on the right side of history? Come on, get on the bandwagon. And what they mean by that is, what I believe is popular now, and it wasn't before. That's all. Who cares? Don't confuse popularity with truth. Don't confuse popularity with truth. Third way is bad to argue. Bad for us to believe. 
Don't confuse positions of authority with truth. Don't confuse positions of authority with truth. So many people today think that if they quote the expert, that that settles the debate, right? Well, science says, and then they think, boom, bomb dropped, mic dropped, done, right? Well, listen, folks, science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things, okay? So there's, a, there's just a problem with that. Um, so it's how we're interpreting things. But, but Christians, we do this too. The Bible says, boom, done. That's not an argument. That's an appeal to authority, and it's an appeal to authority that most people don't really care about. So it's not even a powerful type of trying to argue, Right? I believe the Bible's true. I believe it's inerrant. I believe all of it. I believe it's God's word. But I can't just say the Bible says it as, as my complete defense of the gospel. That's lame, right? I've seen bumper stickers. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Settles what? Couldn't I say science says it? I believe it. That settles it. Couldn't I say Joseph Smith said it? I believe it. That settled, that's not an argument. That's authority, we got to do better than that, guys. We got to look and see what's the argument, what's the evidence. So many people have abused authority positions in the past, right? Catholic Church did this, that's why the Reformation happened. Nobody could read Scripture. It was in Latin, plus people were illiterate. They didn't know what the Bible said, so the authorities had to explain it to them. And then they got the idea, hey, let's tell them about purgatory, which is fake. And then, hey, let's tell them they got to pay us to spend less time there. Yeah, that's a good idea. Abuse of authority because people were ignorant. This happens all the time. The Mormon church thrives on this. Thrives on it. I read an article two weeks ago from one of the, uh, uh, the 70s, one of the quorum of the 70s, uh, Mormon leadership. And he said, we don't do research. <laughs> we, we don't do that anymore. Just trust us. Just trust us. You run for the hills if anybody ever says that. And now listen, I know the irony of I'm up in a position of authority telling you not to believe positions of authority. I get it, right? So you're thinking, should I listen to this guy? Should I not listen to this guy? No, you should think about it. You should think about what I'm saying. Every week, whatever we say up here, you should think about it. And you should reason through it. And you, what does scripture say about this? How does this work? We got to be a thinking people. We can't just appeal to authority. It's fascinating looking at Paul's example. Did he ever appeal to authority? Did he go into Corinth and go, Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that was his argument? No, he spent like a year and a half there talking with people, explaining things, reasoning, persuading, evidence. Did he go in and just say, you know, I really feel like, no. Did he say, I'm just so sincere? No, because he knows those aren't arguments. Those are fallacies. Those are fallacies. We got to do better than that. So, so what do we do? What does it look like to have a good defense? This is what it looks like. This is what we need to do. A good argument is like a house. The house from home alone. <laughs> you remember that? It looks just like it, doesn't it? That's all I could think about this week when I made this slide. A good argument's like a house. And the roof of the house is an opinion or a conclusion, okay? Everyone's got opinions these days. You just, you ask them, they'll tell you. They know it all, right? They got opinions. All of us are entitled to opinions, but all opinions aren't equally valid. Some people's opinions aren't based on anything. They're based on a feeling, or maybe they're based on an authority that they're appealing to, or maybe they're based on popularity, right? We can't do that. We can't base our roofs on those frivolous foundations. That's a bad idea. A roof alone on the ground is useless, 
What does a roof need to function as a roof? It needs walls holding it up, right? That's its purpose. The walls holding up a good conclusion are reason and evidence. This is an argument. You have a conclusion or an opinion that's backed up by good reason and good evidence. And guess what's not good reason? My grandma told me, ah, that's an appeal to authority, right? Well, I just feel, ah, everybody has feelings. Well, popular Eddie Vedder says, ah, good argument, good conclusion. You have reasons and you have evidence. And that is the very thing that we saw Paul do. He went into different cultures. When he was talking to Jewish people, it's fascinating to read through Acts because he, he reasons with them from the Old Testament. Why? Because they thought that was an authority and he knew that and he was well-versed enough to explain it to him. When he talks to the Epicureans and Stoics, he doesn't use the Old Testament because they don't care. So what does he use? He uses reason, and he appeals to the unknown God altar that they have in town, and he talks through that, and he explains to them about evidence, reasoning, persuasion. This is what we're called to do, and we need to do a good job at it. We need to do a good job, because our God is a God who invites this. Isaiah 1.18, come let us reason together. God is the ultimate authority. God is the only person ever who legitimately can say, because I said so, right? He has that type of authority, and yet he doesn't do that. He doesn't appeal to that because he knows it's a bad argument, and he wants us to think. He wants us to use our minds. He wants to explain the why behind the what. He's a good God, and he wants us to know why he says what he says. This is the type of God we have. All other religions and cults, they're not about reasoning and thinking. They're about just listen to us, just follow authority. Hey, we're going to take you out of the country and sequester you over in Salt Lake, which is Mexico. So we'll be away from the influence of anybody else. That's what cults do, right? This is what false religions do. Our God says, investigate, think, greatest commandment. An aspect of the greatest commandment we're supposed to do is love God with our mind. This is different from everything else. And you know why our God can say this? Because truth holds up, and lies are always found out. You can't keep lies straight. Truth always holds up, and he is the truth. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What are we destroying, Paul? We're destroying speculations. You see, what's a speculation? That's a mind thing. That's a thought thing. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking thoughts captive, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're supposed to go out and we're supposed to help other people see that their thoughts are lies. We're supposed to go out with truth and evidence and reason and persuasion and help people see the truth and break down these fortresses of false speculation and false thoughts, right? We are thought captivators. That's what we're supposed to do. This is a good defense. This is who we're supposed to be. This is what Paul says we're to do. This is what he did. This is who God wants us to be. Jesus himself could have just said, I'm God, you have to do what I say. And he doesn't. He provides evidence, 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 evidence. Ultimately, his resurrection, right? You remember in John 20, Thomas, he doubts, right? Peter comes to him and says, bro, the guy rose from the dead. The, the nine other disciples over there, I'm telling you, Thomas, it happened. 
put yourself in Thomas's shoes. Peter's kind of a fibber. Like, he, he said some stuff that's not true, right? He's a, he's a fisherman for crying out loud, right? A couple of the other guys were too. They tell some tales. And, and Thomas says, ah, sorry guys, I know we've had some good times over these last three and a half years, but this is a little, I'm going to need more than your say-so. You're not that good of an authority. I don't care how passionate you are in telling me you saw him, Right? I don't care. I don't care that I'm the one disciple who's not popular amongst us because I don't agree with you. Because this is too important of a subject just to trust you on. I need evidence. I need to stick my fingers in the holes in his hand and in his side. That's when I'll believe. And what does Jesus do? He shows up and he says, here's the evidence. Touch me. Smell me. Hear me. See me. I'm, I'm here, man. And what did the evidence compel Thomas to do? To bow down and to worship Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. Because that's what good evidence does. That's what good evidence does. And our God gives us good evidence. Let's get defensive. Let's get defensive. The church at Philippi knew the importance of this. Paul knew the importance of this. They were partakers with him in it. So you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, Robbie, what do you want me to do? What's the application? What's the takeaway this week? Here's a couple. We literally do exactly what the Philippians did and support ministries that deal with apologetics. They were giving money to Paul as he was out defending the faith. There's so many great ministries out there that you could help out financially. Standard Reason in California, Reasonable Faith with William Lane Craig, Ravi Zacharias, on and on. There's a ton of them. And you're rich. I've been to Rwanda. You're rich. I've been to Honduras. You're rich. I've been to Romania. You're rich. Been to Mexico. You're rich. We can help do exactly what the Philippians were doing in investing in and supporting apologetics ministry, because we're supposed to. We're supposed to. Another thing you need to do is you need to be ready for a defense. We're called that all of us need to be ready whenever anybody asks us for the reason, for the hope that we have in this. First Peter 3.15. You need to be ready. There's a ton of ways to do that. There's tons of great books out there. There's tons of great resources. You don't know any, send me an email, and I'll give you a list. One of the ways we're doing that at this church Sean and I are teaching two classes coming up in two weeks, and these classes go together. We want to evangelize our community. We want to reach people with the gospel. What does that mean? Well, it means we've got to be good at persuading. We've got to be good at evidence. We've got to be good at reasoning. We've got to know what the Bible says and what the gospel is. We've got to go out and do it. We've got these two classes. Sean's going to be teaching a class, Reaching Your Oikos. How do you talk to the people you do life with regularly? How do you engage? What methods are there? What things can you do? It'll help you start thinking that way, get you equipped. I'm teaching one on cultural issues and apologetics because there's so many objections to Christianity, so we've got to be ready for what's out there in culture, like Paul was when he met with the Epicureans and the Stoics. We've got to be ready because this is too important of a message not to deliver well. We've got to be defensive. Every week, I record a podcast, and I don't do it for fun. Most of the emails I get are negative, (laughs) but I do it for you. I do it to help equip you, because guess what? I know you guys got lives. You got jobs. You got kids. We're different parts of the body, and that's awesome, because we need all of us. But God has, has given me the task of being in full-time ministry, which means I need to study, and I need to think through stuff, and I need to reason well, and then I need to condense it all down, and I need to put it on a sound bite that's about 40 minutes long every week so that you can get, like, the, the, the golden nuggets of what I've discovered, right? I want you to have it so you can reach your oikos. Go listen to that. That's another way we're, tr- as a church, trying to equip you to be ready to have a good defense. 
The gospel has been entrusted to us, and this is worth defending. It holds up in all cultures, in all societies, for all times, for all peoples, and it always will, and it always will. We have something ultimately worth defending, so let's get defensive. Let's get defensive.